Hi, I'm Marilyn Barefoot, and welcome to Breaking Brave. This podcast is meant to inspire, invigorate, inform, and uplift through conversations with people about bravery, bravery of all kinds, and people from all walks of life. Today, I'm chatting with producer, director, journalist, and writer, Peter Raymond. Peter's produced and directed over 100 films and television series, and he's also won over 52 international awards. He is absolutely passionate about human rights and social justice, which is what drives all the work that he does. Let's jump in. Let's chat with Peter. I am beyond excited to have Peter Raymont with us on Breaking Brave today. Peter Raymont and I are friends, and we'll talk about how we got to be friends, but I am the biggest fan, Peter. You have produced and directed over 100 documentary films in your 30-year career, and with all of that, you've won over 40 awards, I understand. So welcome, Peter. (laughs) Thanks very much for having me. Nice to see you. And you're in paradise chatting with me. So you're, mm. you're, I hope you can look out the window and see the beautiful, maybe starting to be water of Stony Lake. Is, <laughs> is the ice in a good place or getting there? It's still frozen, but uh, there are little bits of water here and there along the shore. It's just starting. Ugh. It'll probably break up by the middle of April. Fantastic. Did you get some skating done this year? Were you able yes, to? Yes, there you- were a couple of days when it was like perfect, no snow on the ice and you could skate forever like Joni Mitchell sings, you know? I wish I had a river to skate away on. Oh, beautiful. My gosh. Well, Peter, you were born were you born and raised in Ottawa, weren't you? Yes, I was. So you had a river to skate on. <laughs> well, the Rideau Canal, it wasn't actually in those days. It wasn't open for skating. This was, uh, oh, no. I'm, I'm old, so I was born <laughs> in 1950. So, and then the Ottawa River is too dangerous. So, no, we didn't skate on rivers in in Ottawa, but we had lots of skating rinks and outdoor skating rinks that didn't need to be artificially uh, cooled because it was colder in those days. It was colder in those days. That feels so Canadian when it's not, nobody's intervened. It just happens. It's the best. So, Peter, I'm going to take you way, way, way back when you uh, started studying film and politics at Queen's University. Mm Mm-hmm. What was your first foray into film? Uh, well, they had uh, just the beginnings of the of the film studies department at Queen's University, started by Peter Harcourt, and it was it grew out of the English department. Film wasn't considered academic enough to be uh, a university pursuit, university department, and so what was taught was film appreciation, you know, film aesthetics, film history. But the guy who started at Peter Harcourt, he would. He would secretly uh, squirrel away some of the money he was supposed to spend on bringing in another Ingmar Bergman film, and he'd buy a camera or a tape recorder or a lens or something. And so there was this kind of underground filmmaking group within the film studies department. And so I I just started making films, Um, Super 8 millimeter, of course, at first, and then and regular 8, and then 16 millimeter. That was the film I made at Queen's that got me a job. at the National Film Board. It was called Have You Ever Been North of Princess Street, which is sort of the dividing line of Kingston. Was in those days anyway, north of Kingston where people, generally poorer people, a lot of people on welfare, and south of Princess Street was the university community and the 
doctors and lawyers and professionals and the students, the very fortunate students at Queens. So I'd, I thought it would be I- important and interesting to venture into kind of that north of Princess Street area and find out what it was like and who lives there and what their lives are like and help kind of politicize Queens students to the reality of of life north of Princess Street. I was... I think I was north of Princess Street on Saturday. <laughs> and your, I say that because... Getting your vaccination. Exactly. Getting my vaccination. And I wasn't a kid who... I, w- I went to U of T. That's another story. Um, I wanted to go to Queens. And so I didn't... I don't know the... I don't know Kingston as well as I should, but hmm. wow. Well, it might not have quite those polarities now, but this is... I'm talking back in 1968, 69 when I was there. Right. So you won uh, an award for that film, Peter? Uh, no, no. It was just a student film. It was shown at a, a teach-in, which was kind of a, a conference name for conferences that we had in those days at Queen's, a, a teach-in on urban poverty. And there were people there from the federal government and from all sorts of groups. And there was a guy there from the National Film Board of Canada who was impressed by it and got me a meeting with, uh, with people at the NFB in, in Montreal who at the time, fortunately for me, they were looking for an editor and uh, offered me a job for three months uh, editing, which turned into seven years. <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, uh, editing and so you got direct. to live in Montreal for a little yeah, while. Yeah, I moved to Montreal. It was a pretty wonderful place to be. Can you imagine in the 70s? Oh. I was there 71 to 78. Oh, it's it, it, your films, Peter, mostly, I'm saying then, originally, originally, political events and more reportage, reportage around history on the run, which was media on the 70s election, and then Flora, Flora McDonald from a leadership convention. It plays really well as a great platform for what you've gone on to do in in your life. Well, I wanted to get behind the scenes in some of these political events and people in politics. I was fascinated with people who have power, uh, power to lead, power over us, and, you know, who they were, what they were like, how they operated, how they became powerful. In fact, yeah. still, when I was at Queen's, I did a column in the newspaper called People in Power, and it, <laughs> it wasn't about the president of the university or the chancellor of the university. It was about the president's wife, and it was about the groundskeeper. At the, it wasn't about the football star. It was about the groundskeeper, you know. So, people who actually had a lot of influence and power, but you'd never, you didn't know who they were. So that I love that. Those are the type of people that have fascinated me. I love that. Did you actually teach? I mean, of course you did, but I, I would love to hear a story about that. You taught film and video production in the Canadian Arctic? Yeah, I did. I was really lucky. I was sent up there by Wolf Koenig, who was running the animation department at the NFB. And they had started a animation film workshop in Cape Dorset wow. to help young Inuit kids learn film and video production because television was coming to these communities. Right. It had come to Frobisher Bay and it was coming to all the other villages and communities in what is now Nunavut, the Eastern Arctic, from, uh, Cape Dorset, Pavanyatung, Panyatung, etc. And so the Inuit people didn't really want to have television in their community in, until they felt they could control it in some way or, or produce their own films and uh, TV productions. So they started an animation film workshop in Cape Dorset, which of course is the crucible of 
Inuit art, where mm-hmm. the, you know, the prints come from, and the, and the soapstone carvings, and uh, and I went up to make a film about the process of the, these young Inuit kids learning how to make films, and uh, that was wow. And then I stayed on and did some teaching as well of um, film production in living in Frobisher Bay. You must have loved it, Peter. From what oh. I know of you, up at the crack of dawn, out on the beautiful <laughs> glassy water of Stony Lake with your paddle and your canoe. That's right. Being in nature, con- communing with nature is is really who you are. I mean, the winters must have been brutal. I don't know what time of year you were there. I remember one extraordinary day. I was living for a while in a tent down the bay from the town of Frobisher Bay, which is now Iqaluit, in a little white tent. And there was one day when I woke up and everyone was screaming and hooting and hollering and the ice had blown out. It was oh. was in June. The ice had finally blown out to sea and everyone was launching their boats and going crazy. The uh, cold the cold surface had turned to water. Wow. And and you still get that, but maybe not on the same level, obviously, <laughs> at, <laughs> at Stony Lake, but it's uh it's still an amazing thing to be part of. Have you have you stood on your dock or been there when it actually happens at Stony Lake? Yeah. Last year I've I've been living here now for a year and a week mm. uh, since COVID and I moved out of Toronto and I moved here and I've only been back to Toronto two or three times very briefly, but I remember there was one day in mid-April a year ago when the ice all blew, all in one day, very dramatically, blew across in front of our point and revealed the water. Yeah, it's pretty incredible to watch. In addition to film, Peter, you've also, and you mentioned it from when you were writing a column, People in Power, when you were at Queen's, but you've done um, writing for the Globe and Mail, you've done writing for Canadian Business Magazine, and you've done some radio documentaries for Sunday Morning on CBC as well. Mm. Yeah, between films, I would make radio docs. Sometimes I'd sort of (laughs) cut up my film and turn it into a radio doc, which would help... (laughs) promote the broadcast of the film on the CBC Smart. a few days later. Yeah. Um, but I love doing radio documentaries. It's a whole other medium, of course, of uh, communication. And and it's much, much, much less expensive. All you need is a tape recorder and off you go. Yeah. Uh, no crew and uh, and much quicker to edit. So the, those were a lot of fun to do. I'd like to do more. I'd like to go back and do some radio documentaries, perhaps. And now I'm writing... Now I'm trying to write about all this 50 years of uh, filmmaking. Trying to write about it as in? As like I'm writing a book, yeah. (gasps) I'm I'm glad I'm saying this because now I have to finish it. (laughs) Yeah, you see, you've publicly committed. So I think there's something about that. I know. It's so you need the time. You need just uh, time to sit down and focus and concentrate and write. And so it's making time. Okay, so we've got, we'll hold you to it. Good. (laughs) Thanks. Um, awarded a Best Documentary Genie Award for The World is Watching, a mm. critical examination of the role of the media in Nicaragua. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I've always tried to follow opportunities and uh, take advantage of things that are happening around me. And, I, I you know, I was, I was fascinated by what was happening in Nicaragua. There was a revolution. It was the, Sand, you know, the Sandinista Revolution. And People didn't really know in Toronto, in Canada, what what it was all about and what it was happening. And we'd read things in the newspapers and 
see the news on television, but it wasn't really clear what was going down. And there was a war, right? The Contra War, the Yes. Reagan funded this war against the government of, of Nicaragua, fearing kind of communists at the gates. So uh, there, were a, there was a group going down to pick cotton, and I joined it. And uh, we were just like the worst cotton pickers they'd ever seen in Nicaragua. But <laughs> we were there to learn, you know, about the Sandinista revolution. And I was fascinated. I made friends. I saw, you know, this is something perhaps we should... We should make some documentary films, and and that one you you mentioned was was one of those films that that we made. The the world is watching. Every situation is completely different, I'm sure. But how long would it have taken you, Peter, to you know you travel down there as a cotton picker, mm-hmm. and then decide that you're going to produce some documentary films? Right from that moment to the moment it's it's done it's finished you're ready to go yeah it always takes a it always takes a couple of years or so i mean the first film made in nicaragua was about a group of farmers from alberta and saskatchewan that were going down in support of the nicaraguan farmers who couldn't get spare parts for their tractors because of the the blockade the americans had imposed so i did that film first and the National Film Board funded it. And then I went on and raised money for this film about, about journalism in Nicaragua and why the news we were getting in Canada and elsewhere was not really the reality of what was happening on the ground for the people. And that's why we called it The World is Watching. And then I went back 16 years later and made a follow-up film called The World Stopped Watching, which I think is sort of equally important to... You know, when the media spotlight is turned off and the journalists, the international journalists go home, what happens Mm. to the people? What happens to that country? Because we've heard very little news from Nicaragua since the Sandinista Revolution. Um, You don't really know what's happening. So we found some of the same people that we'd seen when we were there and went out into the co-op farms in the country and that sort of thing. It 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 was a lot of fun. It was fascinating. They must have been thrilled to have you back. Thrilled to have you. <laughs> I mean, thrilled to have to you. See, uh, it was like, hey, he's hey, back. Hey, <laughs> why are these people coming back here? Yeah, because they were, you know, the most photographed people on earth there for a few years during the yeah. Sandinista revolution. And then they kind of dropped off the edge of the earth. And so, yeah, I think they, I think they did want to tell their story. Fabulous. You met... And I didn't know this until I started doing some digging about you, Peter. You met your beautifully, dearly departed wife, mm. Linda Lee Tracy, in the film business. And, yeah, well. and she, she was a socially conscious filmmaker. So how did you come to meet each other, if, if I can ask you that she, question? She was a, uh, she was a radio uh, um, journalist for, with the CBC and a writer. And she'd been in a famous film called Not a Love Story. But I met her at a workshop in Toronto for CBC uh, radio journalists, people who wanted to learn how to make radio documentaries better. And uh, she was from Montreal, and she was very smart and quick and attractive and fun. Then we fell in love and ended up living together and getting married and making films together and having a son together. Yeah, Liam. And yeah, that's right. were you living in Montreal? Were you living in Toronto? Uh, I you... was in Toronto. Yeah, I didn't. She she was in Montreal and, and I was in Montreal, but we didn't know each other in those days. Uh, but we we got together in Toronto. And that was the 
formation of White Pine Pictures from mm-hmm. your original company as a division of investigative <laughs> productions. Yeah, when I started the company, it was straight after the uh, the Watergate scandal and all the president's men and everyone was an investigative journalist. So I called my company Investigative Productions until we <laughs> we kept getting these phone calls from people who wanted us to investigate their cheating husbands. So <laughs> No, we're not private investigators. <laughs> I, no. So uh I changed the name to White Pine Pictures. Beautiful. We talk about Shake Hands with the Devil, the journey of Romeo Dallaire. Mm-hmm. I had been to Rwanda uh, uh, to make a film about, again, about an NGO, a group of Canadians who were helping some of the orphans or half a million orphans because of the genocide in Rwanda. And this was a wonderful group of Canadians. And when I was over there shooting this film with them and people realized we were Canadian, they'd come up to us on the street and and they'd say, do you know General Dallaire? Do you know Romeo Dallaire? And I didn't. I was just another Canadian. But when I got home, I thought, hmm, I should learn about Dallaire and what he did. And 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 he was writing his book, Shake Hands with the Devil. And uh, it took a while, but finally I got through to him and we hit it off. And he was going back for the 10th anniversary of the genocide. And so I was able to raise the money to make a documentary about his return to Rwanda, and uh, this ended up being a film that won, in, won the Emmy Award and uh, helped make it easier, I frankly, in the future to make further films. But it was a film that touched a lot of people. I mean, um, I, I like to use my mother as an example because, you know, she's the type of person who wouldn't want to watch a film about a genocide and people killing each other by the tens of thousands, but she would watch a film about a Canadian hero which is really what General Dallaire, General Dallaire was. So, yeah, we became very close. We ended up making two films with the general, actually. Wow. You received a World Cinema Documentary Award at the Sundance Film Festival for this film, did you not, Peter? Yes, we managed to convince the general to go to Sundance. He did come to the world premiere at the Toronto Film Festival, but he wasn't sure about going to all these film festivals, but he did come to Sundance and... Robert Redford asked to have lunch with him, and that was a great moment, great event. Did you and not get invited to lunch by Robert Redford? <laughs> we were sitting on we were sitting on the plane. We just landed in in Salt Lake City, and I get this call on my cell phone. This is Robert Redford's office, and and we're looking for General Dallaire. Do you know Do you know where he is? And he was sitting beside me on the plane, and she said, uh, "You know, Bob Redford would like to invite the General to lunch uh, tomorrow. Do you think he might be available?" I said, hey, General, do you want to go to lunch with Robert Redford? He said, are you kidding? Of course. So I said, um, General will be delighted to attend. Do you think it will be okay if I tagged along too? I'm the, the filmmaker. And she said, yes, that would be fine. So we sat there in this little restaurant. He was in the back corner, big star, of course, but people were very respectful of his privacy in, in Park City, Park City. And uh, Redford had brought... Delaire's book, all dog-eared and with little sticky notes on the side, and he'd underlined things and and highlighted things. And the, the the lunch was essentially Redford going through the book with the general asking him about decisions that were made and and not made, and the failure of humanity, which is the the subtitle of of Romeo's book, the failure of humanity in Rwanda. It was a fascinating 
two hours. And then Redford came to our premiere that night at Sundance and introduced the film. Doesn't get any better than that. Wow, lunch must have gone super well. <laughs> he said that, you know, it's for films like this that I created the Sundance Film Festival. Wow, well, that was very nice. And he stayed and watched the film with us, with the, with the people in the audience, and it won the audience award. So that was a thrill, of course. He is uh, he's a force. I, I had the opportunity of meeting, not having lunch with him, um, of meeting him once when he came to Toronto to launch Milagro Beanfield Wars. Oh, yeah, what a great film that is. So that was my my one brush with that particular um, celebrity. Mm. Very nice man, Redford. Invited uh, another time I was in Sundance and I got invited to his place in the in the in the Sundance Hills, and everywhere in the house are pictures from Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, black and white mm. photos from the shooting of it, in the washroom, on the walls, everywhere, <laughs> these fantastic pictures. Fantastic. Sometimes we would wave at each other, me standing on the shore of the cottage, and you standing on your dock. Hmm. I'd wave you over and invite you for gin and tonic. Exactly. You but the, where I was going with that was, <laughs> I understand Bill. through A Promise to the Dead, The Exiled Journey of Ariel Dorfman. Hmm. It, who was it who introduced you to a Pisco Sour? <laughs> Pisco Sour. Right. That's uh, Yes, I probably served you Pisco Sour on the dock here. Well, Pisco Sours is the national drink of both Chile and Peru. And uh, <laughs> I was introduced to this drink by Ariel Dorfman, the great right. humanitarian writer, poet, um, playwright, author, who I met at a film festival in North Carolina. We were showing, actually, this film, Shake Hands with the Devil, and he introduced the film and hosted a panel discussion with other filmmakers. And I fell in love with this man. And... Um, uh, invited, uh, and I said to him as I was leaving, you know, if you're going back to Chile sometime, I'd love to go with you and perhaps we could make a film together. And he started sending me his books and I started sending him my films. And finally it happened, uh, that we were able to make a film together. He'd written Death and the Maiden, the famous play, uh, which became a film by Roman Polanski about torture in Chile in the time of the generals. And you traveled around Chile together. How yeah. long were you in how long were you in Chile together? Just followed him around. Followed him everywhere. Uh, and he had a lot of friends there and people he wanted to connect with. I don't know. We probably went for ten days or two weeks or something. Fantastic. And I got to go to Easter Island um on the way home. We were very fortunate to be in Chile then filming uh, the day that uh, Pinochet actually died. Um you know, the dictator, the general mm -hmm. who, who ruled uh, Chile for so many hor horrific years. And, and, and so many of Ariel's friends were tortured and killed during that time. He was fortunate to, to escape and hide in the, in the embassy of Argentina, actually, in Chile. And, um, and so he survived. And so that he made this promise, as he said, I made a promise to the dead that I would live to tell their story. And that's what our film's about. Wow. Incredible. You've actually been to Easter Island twice, haven't you? Yeah, I did. I took my son there when we went for the premiere of the film. I thought, um, I flew down and took Liam and we went to Easter Island. I thought, I, I thought he should see it. It's a pretty remote place. It's one of the most remote 
places on earth. You'd fly for five hours, I think, due west from Santiago, Chile, to this tiny little speck in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. It's a fascinating place, haunted place. When I was first introduced to you, Peter, um, it was by way of blesser Lottie Peters, who sold you the cottage on Stony Lake. Hmm. And, well, you must know Peter. I'm like, okay, how would I know Peter? And she said, well, he is the guy responsible for The Border, which aired on CBC and then in the U.S. on PBS. And I think she even produced a... um, a set of DVDs potentially that look here's his name. This is who's going, who's buying the cottage. Hmm. Um, I mean, and you also got to to work with your wife Linda Lee hmm. on that, I believe. Well, the border was really her idea. We had done a documentary series called "The Undefended Border" about the Canada-U.S. border and following uh, illegal immigrants who were trying to sneak into Canada across the border, and the immigration police on our side that were trying to apprehend them and and push them back and find them and all that so it was it was that it was about that and then um you know we thought gee this really should be a drama series because there's only so much you can film um with the documentary camera you know it's only so deep you can get and so we you know she wrote it and, and we teamed up with Jenna McLean and Jeremy Hole and we wrote, wrote a, a script and a proposal and and pitched the CBC it took many years there was a wonderful woman inside the CBC at the time Susan Morgan who just kept kept she said I kept your script in the drawer and I kept bringing it out from time to time and finally it got greenlit and we shot a pilot and we were in business we did 13 episodes we ended up doing 38 episodes over 3 years of the border wow, congratulations. Uh, drama series. Sad, I mean, the sad, thank you. Sadly, Linda Lee passed away just as we were shooting the pilot episode. Um, she had breast cancer and uh, she didn't make it. So she never got to see that the fruition of that uh, dream of, of making that series. God rest her soul, you created the Linda Lee Tracy Award, which mm-hmm. is given away at Hot Docs to an emerging filmmaker. Right, who, 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 who lives the spirit of Linda Lee Tracy, which we define as someone having a, uh, a sense of social justice and a sense of humor. And you don't, <laughs> you don't often get the same uh, That's a tough combo. ingredients yeah. in the same person, in one person. So, that, 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 that's, so every year, at this time of year, uh, people submit their... Um, applications for the award you know make their their and send the films they've made and it's for someone who's really just getting started and it's it's five thousand dollars and and five thousand dollars of services uh production services at that sim video and to help them complete their film do the sound mix and the color and all that sort of thing so you know we've been doing this since she passed yeah 16 years how wonderful in her honor. I mean, the recipients must be so, so, so. Yeah, I think it's helpful. Honored to receive it, but also, you know, you need you need a leg up to get started, and you need help. Yeah, you do. We all need a little help, time to time. Amazing. So I'm going to jump to 2009, Peter. The genius within the inner life of Glenn Gould. Hmm. Yeah, that's uh, that was a film I made uh, with uh, Michelle Ozer, mm-hmm. who's a wonderful editor. She'd edited. 
uh, Shake Hands with the Devil and Promised the Dead and many other films with me. And we co-directed this film on Glenn Gould. Uh, it was the inner life of Glenn Gould, a part of Glenn Gould's life that really story that hadn't been told before. There was a woman who he fell in love with and she moved to Toronto with her children, left her husband. They were going to get married, she and Glenn. And uh, they they didn't in the end, but it was a fascinating part of his life. But So that was the nucleus of it. But the film ended up really being the big uh, documentary of this extraordinary prodigy, child prodigy, genius. And we made it in the end in collaboration with PBS American Masters series in the United States and with Bravo in Canada, which was owned by uh, Bell Media at the time. It's coming through loud and clear that you have such a gift and a skill of being able to tell the story from a completely different perspective with new information. We would talk about at Queens, oh, you know, I'm not going to talk about the football star. I'm going to talk about the groundskeeper. (laughs) But when I did a lot of reading about the inner life of Glenn Gould, genius within, you had stuff. You you brought to light stuff and stories that nobody was aware of. Mm. And that that stuff had been done about Glenn Gould before, but yours was completely new and different. Well, we we bought the rights to a fantastic book about Glenn Gould um, that um, by Kevin Bazana, which revealed so much of his life that hadn't been before. And he had gone through Glenn Gould's diaries. They're all at the National Archives, but he'd spent years really researching Glenn Gould, speaking to many people who knew him. And so he was a very valuable advisor to our film but finding the children uh you know that he be almost became a surrogate father to these two children and uh, they spoke about him for the first time in very loving terms amazing and mm. this was listed for an academy award yeah it was shortlisted you know the, there was just this issue of 15 film shortlist and then the the final nominees we didn't get to be one of the final nominees but we got close it's tough, the Academy Award business, you know, it really is a business and distributors have a lot of power and you need a lot of money as well to really be able to compete. Even being in that short list of 15 is so mm. huge. Have you ever been to the Academy Awards, Peter? No, no, no. Been to the Emmys a few times. We've had, Excellent. we've won a couple of Emmys and had some Emmy nominations. I've got some information regarding a status symbol jacket, Sundance Film Festival oh, jacket. Right. Oh, yeah. So I want to hear a little story about what is this cool well, Sundance Film Festival jacket that people want to pay you money for uh-huh. and like take off your hands? It ended up getting stolen from me, this beautiful jacket, but I had it for many years. It oh, was no. a Burton ski jacket with the Sundance Film Festival logo and they only give this jacket to directors of films so even if you're you know martin scorsese and you've executive produced somebody's film or whoever you are you don't get one of these sundance film festival jackets unless you're the director of the film so it was it's it was quite a wonderful and this was for shake hands with the devil (laughs) yeah yeah so that was nice We've got to get you another one of those jackets, Peter. <laughs> i got to get back to Sundance with a film. Exactly. Good, right. I'm going to talk about canoeing and paddling. Um, when I went to see 
your fundraiser that you did for the Upper Stony Lake Association. Uh, and then I think you also had a, a, a screening um, at the Elizabeth Bader Film Festival, potentially, um, of Tom Thompson. West Wind is the film, right? Yes. The vision of Tom Thompson. Um, yeah, we, 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 we screened it at, uh, at the Isabel Bader and we screened it up here at Stony Lake as a fundraiser. Yeah, it's, it's the first real film made about Tom Thompson, real. Um, and I made that, um, with my partner, Nancy Lang and also with Michelle Ozer. We, we co-directed it again, Michelle and I, and she did the editing and Nancy did the research. Someone I've always greatly admired and been fascinated with my whole life, Tom Thompson. Now, you know, the, the group of seven was created after he, shortly after he passed away. So he wasn't a member of the group, but he was, you know, close friends with those people who started the group of seven. And I think mm-hmm. they started the group partly in his honor and partly feeling that they needed to, to work more closely together. But he would go off at this time of year and he always anxious to get into Algonquin Park before all the snow had melted and start painting and he lived there he just loved Algonquin Park that was his studio and uh so yeah we enjoyed making that film together it was a lot of fun it's a beautiful piece of work I was thank you up actually for my very 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 first time at Algonquin Park a couple of years ago doing a a keynote for a group an off-site and the owners of the actual lodge called the Northern Edge explained that what I was sitting on, I was sitting in a Kawartha chair looking out at the water and there is that, there's an island called a Tom Thompson's Island. The island is named after him. So I was thinking of you <laughs> um, and the beautiful and incredible scenery that was so inspiring. Oh, amazing. Great team we had. John Westhauser, cinematographer, John Wellsman, who did the music. It's touched a lot of people, that film, and traveled. We, we screened it in Europe as well. There's a wonderful exhibition right now, by the way, at the McMichael. It's the 100th anniversary of the founding of the Group of Seven, and so they're showing many of their, their uh, of the best works of those painters and Tom Thompson's paintings at the McMichael right now. Wow, and so I, I, I've got to look into that because I'm a huge fan, mm. huge fan of absolutely all of them. Mm. We we did another film on we did the film on Lauren Harris Nancy and I co-directed that, who was really the the principal founder of the group the group of seven. I helped uh, a film about Emily Carr again not a member of the group but she was from you know she was in BC mm-hmm. very influential wonderful painter and then another f- film about the group of seven is called Painted Land which was directed by Phyllis Ellis won a number of awards and it was about these people who go out and try to find the exact spot where the painter sat and did their paintings. Um, these people from Sault Ste. Marie. And so that was a lot of fun. Phyllis did a fantastic job on that film. And Nancy and I were, uh, Nancy worked on it as a researcher and, and won an award for her research. And I, uh, I was a producer. Beautiful. So you're still doing yoga, Peter? <laughs> no, I should. But I'm doing lots of exercise now. I've got a puppy who keeps me uh, going, gets me up, and we do a lot of walking together. There's one thing that a 71-year-old man like me and a 
for and a puppy have in common. Do you know what that is, Marilyn? Maybe I've already told you this. Oh, uh, um, poor joke. I'm not too far from your age, Peter. So, um, <laughs> no, we haven't heard this joke, but here's my guess. Okay. Having to get up in the middle of the night yes, to go pee. That's right. The 3 a.m. pee. So uh, this is how we have bonded, this puppy and I. And then we get up. Then we get going at sunrise. We go for a good walk. Another midday and a, and a good walk before sunset. So that's that's good exercise. Oh, yes, absolutely. And I, I, I fondly remember waking up in the morning at the cottage and there would already be a little text message from you saying, this is what the sunrise looked like this morning. And I'm thinking, one of these days I'm going to get up early enough to see it when Peter sees it because your photographs are always so beautiful. It's good. That's good living up here. You rise with the sun and you go to sleep shortly after it sets. And you, you know, I think you li- live longer that way. I hope so anyway. Absolutely. I um, wanted to talk a little bit about two big things. Once we're brothers, can we talk about that? Sure, of course. Yeah, this is the film on Robbie Robertson that uh, directed yes. by Daniel Rohr, executive produced by Martin Scorsese, no less, and and Ron Howard and uh, Justin Wilkes of Imagine Entertainment. And yeah, it was a big film. It's the first Canadian documentary to open the Toronto International Film Festival. So that was pretty cool. Oh, um, amazing. And it's beautiful, and it's incredible, oh, and it's it is available on Netflix, I believe. Is it not? Uh, Crave. Crave, excuse me. Who is, uh, and Hulu in the in the United States, and it's been all over the world. You know, it's been broadcast, and then it ran in theaters in Japan for several weeks. It's a big. I didn't realize that Robbie Robertson and the band were so popular in Japan. So it's really it. It grew from Robbie's uh, book. Testimony, his mm-hmm. m- uh, memoir, personal memoir about his growing up, half Jewish and half Mohawk, fascinating uh, background, and grew up in Toronto and uh, went off to Arkansas to try out for the play with Ronnie Hawkins. And he was a 16 year old kid. And of course, you know, got together with, with Ronnie, traveled all over, and then they created the band, he and Levon Helm. And- so apart from Levon, the rest were Canadians, the band, and they lived in Woodstock and they they hung out with Bob Dylan and toured with Bob Dylan. It's an incredible story. It's a great story. And Robbie really opened up to, to Daniel and we found a lot of fantastic archive. So that was fun. Ron Howard was involved in that film too. Yeah, yeah. Wasn't Imagine it? Entertainment uh, came on board uh, partway through the editing and, and, and helped us a lot. I watched some of the interviews prior to jumping on this with you today, Peter, and just fascinating to hear Robbie Robertson talk about, I guess, what what took him apart eventually being, you know, drug and alcohol addictions and how that was just not, nobody had the coping skills, nobody had the resources, nobody had mm-hmm. anything then to help like we do now. Yeah, yeah, it was tough times. Wondering about Margaret Atwood, a word after mm. a word after a word is power. Yeah. Uh, well, we were very fortunate to be offered that film to make a close friend of Margaret's, Peter Pearson, who'd gone to school with her, filmmaker, a friend of mine. He um, he thought, you know, now's the time to make a film about Margaret and Graham, her partner. Yeah. Uh, Graham had dementia and, 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 and there was a sense this was, you know, maybe the last year of his life and... Margaret agreed, and um, 
we got offered the opportunity to make it. So Nancy and I co-directed the film and traveled all over the place with, with Margaret and Graham. Wonderful, wonderful people. They gave us great access to themselves and the people they were with. When, when we met Margaret, she said, you know, yes, y- you know, you're welcome to make this film, but I can't do a sit down interview with you until next year. She was writing the testaments, you know, the follow up mm-hmm. book to the Handmaid's Tale, her famous book that became the, the world famous Hulu series. And, uh, so it was good in a way because it, it, it forced us to look through all these other interviews that she'd done all through her life. Yeah. And, uh, so the film is really pieced together. Uh, the story of her her life, her career as a writer, the highlighting some of the books she's written. I mean, it's impossible to squeeze the life of someone as extraordinary as Margaret Atwood into 90 minutes, but we did our best to, to find the highlights. And in fact, I mean, it started out as a birthday celebration for Graham, mm. who was turning 85, and she was turning 80, and it, That's right. it did turn out to be pretty much capturing the last year of his life. Yeah, he passed away just before we finished the film, so sadly he didn't see the finished film, but I hope he would have would have liked it. We 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 wanted to honor him. Sounds like he did a beautiful job and Nancy Lang saying yeah. Atwood is a philosopher queen, That's quote right. of quotes. She is. You know, many people all around the world first thing they do in the morning when they wake up, they check their Twitter, people they're following mm. on Twitter, and there's Margaret Atwood. She's always early in the morning tweeting about things she cares about, people, books that have been written, uh, things we should be aware of, campaigns she's involved with. She's extraordinary, the amount of energy she has to do all that and also keep writing books and, and books of poetry. She's a force. Amazing that you had that intimate, if you will, opportunity Mm, of... We did. We were very fortunate, honored, really, to be able to travel with her. So let's talk about what's in production or not, given COVID, Mm. at the moment. You're working on on Buffy St. Marie, Power Mm. in the Blood. Yeah, wonderful director, Michel Derosier from Thunder Bay, and producer Shane Belcourt and uh, Michelle St. John. Of Wolfwalker, this is a big feature documentary for Bell and mm-hmm. Crave, and also for American Masters in the states. So, yeah, they're off to Hawaii next month to shoot with uh, Buffy. She lives in Hawaii. Oh, wow, fantastic! And she's, you know, because of COVID, she's obviously not performing or traveling these days. So, the film will be very much a film, you know, inside her head, inside her soul, the history of her of her life and her career told from very much from her perspective. There is a lot of concert footage of her singing, of course. Yes. She wrote The Great Universal Soldier with a sort of anti-war anthem of the 70s and um, Up Where We Belong, which, of course, won the Oscar for Best Song. First Indigenous person to win an Oscar was Buffy St. Marie for writing Up Where We Belong. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, and 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 Peter COVID has obviously turned everybody's world upside down. But in your career, obviously, it's turned your world upside down in a huge way. So, what do you think with Buffy St. Marie Power in the Blood? When maybe can the world see that? 
Well, we're hoping to have it finished for Sundance next year. It'd be like a year a year from now. Okay. Buffy also wrote one of the greatest love songs, I think, of all time, in, until it's time for you to go, mm-hmm. which Elvis Presley made famous. You know, that's oh, such a beautiful, moving song. A very talented woman and, and such a spirited woman. So much energy. Incredible. I also understand there's a Wild Pacific Rescue. So it's three one-hour films. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're doing a series about the Marine Mammal Rescue Center at the Vancouver Aquarium. These people that go out, marine, marine biologists and veterinarian, they go out in the water and zodiacs and rescue seals and sea lions and um, walruses and harbor seals and all sorts of other marine animals and uh, bring them back to the center and sometimes do surgery on them and recuperate them and take them back into the wild. That's a wonderful group of people. So we're, do, we're doing three hours and hopefully more episodes for uh, Blue Ant. The, 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 this will be on Cottage Life uh, um, during their free preview period in, in April. I can't wait. I have been to the Vancouver Aquarium a couple of times in my mm. life, and it, it's an incredible place. But when you get that opportunity to see those kinds of things mm. in terms of the other stuff that uh, is going right. on, how yeah. amazing. They do a lot of great work. So, Peter, what's the dream now? What's the dream going forward? Oh, so well. you've got all these wonderful things that are in production. <laughs> That's right. Well, there's lots wh- of ideas. Where, where are we going now? I mean, I know you've stated publicly you're writing a book, which is uh, okay. We're holding you to it. I can't wait. What else? What What else is on the list that you wanna you wanna you've always dreamed of doing? I'd like to make. I'd like to direct a feature film, a dramatic feature film, and I've got a script that um, may, you know, may come to fruition. You never know. There's so many factors involved in financing those things. I want to keep, you know, making um, documentaries and supporting filmmakers to make their documentaries through my company, White Pine Pictures. Mm-hmm. So it's more, it's a more supporting both uh, experienced and up and, up and coming filmmakers to realize their dreams. Uh, for me now, less than directing, personally directing. I've always wanted to make a film about Henry David Thoreau. And, and uh, so we've got a uh, proposal for that 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 may happen. I'm hoping that uh, there's a series in the works about the Canada Soviet hockey series of 1972. It's the 50th anniversary next year, 2022. Oh, that would be so. So fun. I'm hoping to uh, be able to raise the money from broadcasters and others for that series. So you know, lots of things. We have a kids series in the works, Citizen Kid. We have all sorts of uh, with Kids Can Press. We have all sorts of projects in various stages of development all the time. How can we support the great work that you're doing? So people <laughs> listening and people well, consuming this Breaking Brave podcast, how can we support you? Well, you can, you know, watch the films. Uh, that uh, Some of them are available through our website. They're all available through our website, whitepinepictures.com. And some, some are distributed by the National Film Board and the CBC and others. Support Canadian filmmaking, not just films I make, but uh, there's so many fantastic filmmakers in this country and new, new filmmakers coming alive on board every day, making extraordinary, you know, experimental and brave films. Your your series is called Breaking Brave. I don't consider myself particularly brave, actually. I think I think there are much braver people than I am that you know put their life on the line and do extraordinary things around the world. I've just tried to 
follow opportunities and take advantage of things that uh, come my way and that are offered and make something creative out of that, you know? It's a theme, though, Peter, because people that I've spoken to, that nobody considers themselves brave, but the mm. world sees you differently. I think you are very, I think you are very brave. And and well, you're right. Crazy, maybe. Yeah, I, I, it's <laughs> sort of crazy to leave a job at the National Film Board and move to Toronto and start a film company when you're 29 years old and you don't know anybody and you don't really know anything. So that, I don't know if that's brave or just kind of crazy. <laughs> and that's exactly what I hear. Nuts. I hear, no, I don't consider it brave. I just consider it stupid. And like, <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly right. Now, this is this is going to perhaps be the dumbest and the most final of questions I've got for you before we wrap it up, which mm. is, did you have a favorite of all? You've done a hundred documentary films. Huh. Is there one that sticks in your heart more? Mm. I don't know. It's like choosing among your children, as they say. It's uh, yeah. Uh, every film is special at, uh, of its time, right? At its time, mm-hmm. at its moment. And I, don't, I tend not to look back and look at at, at the films I've, I've made too much. Uh, sometimes they pop up at film festivals, where I'm invited to talk about them and opportunities like this. But I think my favorite film is the film I'm going to make next. Yeah. And I think that's a good way to live, right? Moving yeah. forward and not looking back. And uh, finding, as I said, new opportunities, new possibilities, new uh, collaborations. Filmmaking is a team sport. You know, you're interviewing me, but and uh, throughout I've, I, I, I've been talking about the collaborators, right? The co-directors, the editors, the producers, the cinematographers and musicians that you work with. That's the fun thing about filmmaking, Writers, you know, they're the way to only way to write is to just sit down in front of your typewriter, your laptop, and isolate yourself from the world and write. And painters, fairly isolated uh, professions, but filmmaking is kind of like uh, being on a on a sports team. It's a group of people, and you're and there's team spirit, and there's fun and hijinks, and and you get to know each other really well, and uh, that's the fun of it. Well, thank you, Peter. Oh, thank you. Thank you for sharing your stories, and thank you for delighted. Thank you for your gifts, your one hundred gifts plus all of your writing that you've done. <laughs> well, I've been given, I've been uh, given opportunities and offered possibilities, and I've been very, very fortunate uh, making all these films over the years. And so have we been the fortunate recipients of the beautiful work that you're doing. So, thank you again for joining us, and and. I am excited to have you back when you finish your book. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, thanks a lot, Marilyn. It's lovely talking to you. Thanks so much for listening to Breaking Brave. For updates between episodes, please visit my website, MarilynBarefoot.com. You can also find me at MarilynBarefoot. That's it for today. See you next time.